You just heard Night Winds from Parasite, and this is the Requiem Metal Podcast Patreon show of, I'm not sure what not month or number. So. Yeah, we'll call it November slash December. <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, lots of things going on. Yeah, I kind of sent... Lots of life things. I sent something out uh, via social media today that said, you know, like, we're finally recording some stuff. We've been... We've basically had this date scheduled, like, I think five times, and then had to, like... It's, yeah. cancel and rotate there's you know family stuff and then um my schedule has been like kind of unforgiving from like a school coaching standpoint like yeah. so on my end it's been pretty tough and uh you know the days that mark can do it i don't know it's just kind of who we are and one of the things that i kind of post I, I said in the posts um is that we've sort of always prided ourselves on trying to like record live instead of like yeah, skyping and doing different things like that both so. of our technology is aging we have yeah. an aging infrastructure that I don't know how well it would sound at this point. And especially after the episode 200, you know, like where we had people call in and some of the sound quality was like a little off. We want to make sure like if, if that happens every so often because it's a guest star that we're bringing in, like we can maybe live with it. Although I think we have some ideas on how we can maybe tweak that in the future. But yeah. um, just for like our recordings, like we want them to sound good. Yeah. You know? And I think the being able to play off each other live suits the show better we've never done it not that way yeah for sure for sure and uh yeah so you know it's been a while with the, the patron shows and stuff so we we appreciate you you know the patron support and stuff we're gonna try and kick a few more out i think in the winter time um i'll have a little bit more flexibility to come see mark uh even for us just to you know pump an episode out like on a weekday or something like that like yeah whereas before with coaching you know, I wouldn't got to practice till like five, home at six, and by then I'm pretty exhausted. Whereas now I could shoot down after school without coaching, and you know we could pump an episode out, and I could be home by like seven or eight o'clock at the very latest. You know, and that's yeah. I could still like make something out of my night because we've had a lot of opportunities. Well, not really, but we've seen a handful of shows. Yeah, that's kind of time. That's what before, we've sort of devoted you know? ourselves to is like I'll just like shoot down and meet up with them real quick, and we'll go and see some metal shows. But like we haven't really had time. We've seen each other, each other a couple social occasions as well, but the, yeah. that's not really like a good opportunity because there's a bunch <laughs> Hang of people on, guys, in the house. Uh, and, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, again, the patience of, of you guys, uh, we really do appreciate that. And maybe now that I'm kind of done, I can do a little bit more tinkering with some stuff. There's some of those uh, interviews that Tim O'Brien put together for us. We only released the Chuck Schuldiner one, but I'll, I'll maybe oh, yeah. take a look at, you know, pumping a few of those out on the Patreon and stuff like that because yeah, we've got a blind guardian one an emperor one there's, there's i've also found some weird shit cleaning my computer is i've got uh first time bolt thrower came back to mdf oh yeah i've got one of those old one of those little flip cams yeah yeah i've got the whole like the first two songs on that oh that sweet I could, like upload to yeah, we should, a private channel we should on put YouTube that up or something. yeah that'd be cool so yeah that was like well, that was the first time i ever saw bolt thrower <laughs> i don't know it's me too yeah did they play one more time MDF, right? And then that was yeah, pretty much it. I saw them that second time, but it was they were outside in a tent and it was raining. Mm. And there was just like a stream going right down the center. It was just miserable. Yeah. So I kinda like watched them from side stage. I wasn't more. that was the year that was I think that was the first year I stopped going to MDF was the second time both yeah. door went. Yeah. So and uh yeah. So I mean we've been you know, obviously we had the the Black Sabbath show in the bag. Uh, we recorded that uh, several months back, and so luckily we had that to kind of get us through a little bit. And that posted, I think, in November or either that or late October. So we're really only a month, yeah. like only a, really a couple weeks off from our kind of monthly schedule. Um, one of the things I want to do a little, if we we can, is is be a little bit more frequent with um, 
you know, at least through the winter, if, if Mark has a little bit more time, uh, just kind of depends. Cause I have, I have time to like, kind of like help on my end. And so we'll, we'll kind of see, you know, but we definitely have, um, let me put it this way since you're the patrons, And so I can kind of like go <laughs> on this, um, this school year in particular, I, I've kind of like expressed this to Mark a little bit. Um, I've taught for 17 years and normally like a teacher schedule for those of you that care, but we get really specific with patron shows cause you guys are our people. <laughs> so, uh, but normally like a, a normal teacher or a normal teaching year, I have maybe what, like two to three preps, um, which means I'm teaching two to three different classes a day or something like that. And this, this trimester I have four, which is a little bit more than, than usual. And then, um, the other thing is we did a complete new overhaul of like a grading system and none of the teachers understand it. And it's just been honestly one of the most stressful years in my 17 year career. It's like one of those, like where like you're, you're the master of your craft and then they decide to just like reinvent the language that your craft is like part of and so you're just yeah. like really really frustrated and so that happened with my mom and she she retired early yeah i was gonna say it's the kind of stuff that you know if you hear about the frustration that teachers are kind of going through it's that kind of stuff that just like you know nickel and dimes you and it's like slow like paper cuts you know like yeah, you just like taking the fun out of yep, things and yeah and so i love my classes and i love the students like all that's been really really awesome and then i also took on a student teacher that i wasn't supposed to so there was just like this heap of crap sort of going on but I've kind of cleared the deck of a lot of things like, um, you know, I'm not coaching in the spring anymore, which was always like a real pain in the butt for me as a, a life choice and just some other things. So I think I feel like I can see like the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I think we'll be a little bit more consistent with some of the things that we're doing, at least on my end. And I'll be a little bit more mobile so that if Mark has something going on that he can't make it up here, I can at least kind of get down there, you know, to, to see him, even if it's like I said, to drop a quick episode or a patron episode or something. So Anyways, it's been a day, as they say. It's been a little yeah. while. Um, but everybody's been very patient with us in the past. You know, yeah, two years say. go by. <laughs> I think, you know, I think I look back to what we were doing at this time a year ago, and we were like busting our asses to put together like episode 200 and 199, like these just mega, like crazy episodes. And so, yeah. you know, I hope that stuff like that, like, you know, gets us good karma and bears us goodwill. The fact that, you know, we'll, we will, when push comes to shove, like go to bat. And, um, since you're the patrons, you know, I can kind of, you know, leak, leak some things out to you guys, but, you know, I essentially have all the research done for a four part, um, you know, basically Greek Hellenic metal kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, and so that's like ready in the, the, the hard parts done, the heavy lifting, the research, the, playlist the note taking and, and some of that i got to get mark some of the songs so that he can kind of start to digest some of that stuff a little bit but you know so we haven't been sitting around doing nothing it's just we haven't been able to like have physical contact to actually like yeah. record things and stuff so um but yeah so this parasite uh tune night winds basically it's part of a theme that we're we're sort of loosely throwing together whenever we're always like the hell should we do for patrons you know and I kind of told Mark, I said, well, I've been listening to like a lot of just like a bizarre handful of like things that necessarily aren't new things. Yeah. You know, they do, they can sometimes be new things. And I certainly am listening to new things as well. But just like things that you just kind of discover along the way that don't really fit into like a, an episode or wouldn't really fit into like, you know, a whole um, episode devoted to either that band or that genre or something like that. So I said, you know, just pick out like five or six things that you've been kind of digging on you know, that maybe our old stuff or, you know, things you skipped over years ago that maybe you've heard of. 
and let's just kind of chat about it. And so um, that's what Parasite is. Parasite's this Swedish metal band from 1984. Um, I'm sure you kind of noticed it, it sounded pretty uh, retro, almost kind of a Nawabum sort of sound going on. Angel Witch, you pointed out, kind of had some accept riffing, you know, yeah, and stuff like that. Very, very simple, and yeah, yeah, European melodies. You know, the whole the whole nine yards. And really, at that time in in uh, Sweden, there was like heavy load and. Mm-hmm. You know, Europe, Europe, um, you know, was was doing their stuff by like, I think 83 is the first uh, Europe album um, when they were kind of still almost like a speed metal, power metal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Wings of Tomorrow, I think was 84, which is like the pretty badass, like almost like Iron Maiden kind of like galloping type stuff that Europe did. Yeah. And so, you know, this was like just something I kind of came across, I think maybe when I was putting together, uh, together the History of Heavy Metal Countdown, and then I ended up buying it. Um, no Remorse Records put it out recently. Um, I think it was released in two, 2018, and it's got their demos from like 1983 on it. And then the only release they ever did, which was this kind of self-titled five-song thing. And so it's got a guy riding a, I don't know what the hell is that? Dragony kind of <laughs> Something from an 80s cartoon, probably. I yeah, I mean, it looks kind of like, like a black rider with wings or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, actually, it does kind of look like, looking a, thing. like a like a Nazgul or something yeah. like that. But yeah, so I mean, just fun. I mean, it's not essential stuff. That's the thing about this episode is we're kind of, you know, we we wouldn't like go to bat necessarily for all these bands and say like they're the best thing ever. But sometimes it's just like fun shit. Like I've been like listening to a lot in my car, like when we're cleaning the house or just, yeah, doing, just doing whatever random shit you got to do. Yeah. So I figure it's kind of a nice way to like spotlight some bands for, for you guys, you know, get you more into kind of like the obscure kind of mind of, of sort of where we're been. And, um, you know, it's funny. I was telling Mark, one of the things that, you know, outside of like metal, I guess, um, is I've been kind of like going down a pretty big journey, um, into like some country music stuff that I like knew about, from you know the 50s and 60s and mm-hmm. 70s and stuff but that ken burns documentary came out and i just kind of like i still need to make it through the rest of it but that's I, that was like exactly what i needed when it came out <laughs> yeah it was perfect yeah. you know and and i'm always like you know i'm a fan of music you know i mm-hmm. mean obviously metal probably comes first uh most of the time but i like multiple different genres um in teaching the rock history class and stuff i'll like watch that. a documentary about any band yeah i'm, I'm unless just it's like a modern like blowhard bullshit thing yeah. but if it's like any kind of historical like you know bbc i'll watch anything yeah and oh. i thought it was just really well done um yeah. you know the only the only critique i heard like people kind of like throw towards it is you know ken burns sometimes plays a little safe he kind of did that with the jazz thing but that's, it's still like really good his, information yeah it's you know very I mean? well you know researched and it's good general audience stuff. i was gonna say it's not taking too many like controversial stances which is fine but it's it has a modernist approach mm-hmm. enough to where it will actually say that well this is all stolen from black people yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and and there was like and kind hillbillies of like, and poor people like they they go into the roots not just from what you would assume you know it's not just from a bunch of hillbillies and I'll tell you what, man, it made me actually, not that I like am going to listen to it, but, you know, I've joked, people have listened to podcasts for a while that my childhood, uh, I, I got into a lot of musical confrontations with my mother, who was a big fan of like kind of pop country, like post Garth Brooks, like early 90s, that kind of stuff. And I was not a fan of that stuff. And I always kind of detested it. But hearing it and seeing it in that final episode in context, at least maybe like appreciate maybe my, why my mom listened to it a mm-hmm. little bit, you know, like listening to like Reba McIntyre talk about like 
songs about women that have been like scorned and i was like oh that's like my mom <laughs> like my mom like a single mom bad relationships like yeah. no wonder this like i Something was listening to slayer like i get why slayer probably didn't resonate with my mom you know yeah. like yeah, yeah so so it was cool from that standpoint but i've been really rocking out like a lot of dolly parton and willie nelson and waylon jennings and that kind of stuff um speaking of podcasts us there's a cool podcast that you should check out if you get a chance that uh, dude from Radiolab is putting together, and it's like a ten part series, and it's called uh, Dolly's America, and it's oh, like I've heard about that. It's really good. It's, it's, it's it, kind um, of fun. Jed Eppenrod or the Robert Crawlwich, one of those guys. It's a it's a guy. I believe he's um, he's ethnic, so I want to say he's like Indian or Pakistani or something. Oh, is like he that? like just like a, he's not one of the two hosts of the show? No, I don't but... think so. I think he's, what's it called? Uh, it's called Dolly's America, I believe. Um, that kind of got me hooked on Dolly Parton, and like the first episode, um, yeah, Dolly Parton's America, and the first episode's called Sad Ass Songs, <laughs> and it's just about like her stuff in the late sixties and things like that, but. They get into like her politics and how like Dolly Parton is, uh, you know, like one of the rare artists that when you go to her concerts, there's like drag queens and like hillbillies and like lesbian couples and like just yeah. like she almost is like this universally beloved person and she almost like exists above like almost all other like genres and like categories in certain ways. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, there's not she's a there's not a whole lot of people that could really say it. like Willie Nelson's a little bit there, but he doesn't have the whole like gay culture thing yeah i was gonna say he doesn't have like that extra cult you know kind of aspect to him but uh but it was really cool like there's an episode on like her politics and stuff like that and um like some really fascinating things they do like one whole episode on jolene which you know mark has a cat named jolene (laughs) so i always think of his his based on that song yeah and uh just how that was a really interesting kind of choice to make because it like was the first song that was of that like archetype that like addressed the like female antagonist like by name and instead of blaming like the guy for yeah and it wasn't even like a blaming the woman it was like a begging of the woman to like not use her powers and it was really like kind of a fascinating sort yeah. of thing yeah. there's also now a uh, a netflix series where they take that it might have been based on the podcast oh it could have been yeah or dolly part i would it's not really my cup of tea but um dolly parton comes out and introduces the song uh huh and then gives a little backstory about it, and then they do a, a, like a dramatic interpretation. Oh of no, it. shit! That's but it's like very soap opera. Is it? Okay. Ask. It's yeah. not. It's not very artfully done. I think it would have worked better purely audio. Yeah, what I think would be yeah. great, but um, that might even be based on the podcast. I'm it might sure. have been. They, in the Jolene th- song, they actually had um, the interview. I think she was a journalist um, who she always saw and heard Jolene as like a, a lesbian love story that like she's she recognizes how beautiful jolene is and she like acknowledges it and she like almost is like also under the spell as well as her man and so she wrote like an extra verse about like how her and jolene like end up together and they sent it to dolly and dolly thought it was like fucking awesome and stuff so but it was like that's the test of a good song though too that it can be interpreted validly a lot of different ways yeah. yeah Yeah, and, you know, you talk about these, like, universal, like, Johnny Cash or, like, Bob Dylan or, you know, people that have these songs that sort of exist, like, in a the pop lexicon of, you know, yeah. like, you know, humanity or whatever. But, uh, and the, the other cool thing, and I'll get off this, but one thing that, like, blew my mind is they talked about when Nelson Mandela was in prison um, for standing up to apartheid in South Africa, he would play, he would ask the prison guards, um, they, they would, like, give him requests, and he would play Dolly Parton all the time. And he would play Dolly Parton because he knew what it would do is like 
it was so universally beloved that the guards and him would have like a simultaneously bonding experience where they both enjoyed the music. <laughs> so like he was sort of doing it to like socialize like and show the like connectivity of like we're all humans. We're not. Yeah. Like, like yeah. we don't have to be like even though there's bars separate us and you're taught to hate me. Like we're yeah. kind of like having this universal experience. I thought that was like really <laughs> wild. Like Nelson Mandela and Dolly, you know, yeah. who would have thunk it? But yeah, her, her vocal style, I've always even as a kid something immediately well it helped that she was on the muppet show and yeah sure, stuff like that sure. too but she was always just a public figure and it made it like dehilbilified sure some of the because growing up my uh my dad always disliked country music because of his in-laws and other sure. people that he associated as just like garbage that listened and i to had stuff. My, <laughs> i definitely had my stereotypes about that stuff too you yeah. know what i mean that i had to sort of work through but yeah, it was just some interesting stuff, like how, you know, 9 to 5 was like a, you know, kind of like a odd, like, feminist, like, sort of like... Yeah. The, you know, just like stuff Best like Best little in Texas. Yeah, like. things like that. It was, it was pretty interesting. So, so yeah, I've been rocking some of that stuff out in addition to some of the things that we're going to be playing and... um you know, I don't know. Like, I listen to a lot of hip-hop, too. Like, I did a thing in my hip... In my uh, rock history class where um, there's this fantastic podcast that's like... It'd be like the if if I was retired, it'd be like the ultimate epitome of like if I had to like do my own solo podcast. It's called Dissect, and basically what he does is he takes like a really important like hip hop record, mm -hmm. and he does like it's like thirty five minutes on each song, and he's like telling the story of like the the album, the song, and like all of the different like samples and the backstory. It's fucking incredible. Going to like the like cultural stuff as well. Yeah, it's and... like incredible. And so like his the first season was based on Kendrick Lamar's uh To Pimp a Butterfly and it's this like really great like almost like a, a novel, you know, the whole thing is. And so basically I transcribed a lot of that podcast or at least elements of it and mixed some of things um some of my own ideas into it. And I basically put together for like the last part of my rock history class, it ended up being like 128 slides of a PowerPoint. <laughs> I mean, most of it was lyrics, but like, yeah, Jesus. I talked the kids through from track one all the way through like track 16. And by the end, like some kids were like mind blown. They're like, whoa. And I think it was cool because I do so much old stuff that it was kind of fun to like actually do something that was like relevant to their generation almost you know what i mean yeah that like an sense. artist that like kind of like spoke to them a little bit more directly but i also purposely did it because the album like deconstructs a lot of uh you know black lives matter type themes and there's even a part where he like stops in the middle of a song and like breaks down the entomological like origins of the n-word and like where it came from and how it was like an ethiopian term of empowerment and kingship and it was used as a weapon you know like yeah really like crazy stuff you know like it's really really an awesome album and so like my kids you know i think i've joked before i teach in a pretty like white rural community fairly that, affluent yeah that doesn't like experience some of that and so to like hit them with something that's like so far out of their realm of like comfort zone i think it was like important so yeah anyways i go down like kendrick lamar and danny brown kind of stuff too but in addition i'm listening to parasite you know and, and things like that so uh I don't know. What are, have you been on any kind of strange, like kind I mean, of detours outside of metal and, and rock stuff lately? Or well, the the metal stuff I've been listening to is most basically like promos that I've gotten early advanced stuff, like the the new Temple Void record. Okay, gotcha. Blood really Incantation, good. obviously, was been yeah, like a big the one. You know? New Midnight record. Oh, sweet. The, it's their first their debut on Metal Blade. Oh, nice. So it's it's basically everything that they've done before, but a little bit better production. A little better. Yeah, <laughs> sweet, sweet. Um, that. Uh, Obsequay, have you heard that? Yeah, yet? that's pretty fun. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, 
the Texas Holocaust, Primal Future, the New Exhumed. Um, but I don't think we have we talked about Workshed on here at all. Uh uh-uh. uh It's uh, Adam Lehan from Cathedral. Oh yeah. yeah. Mark Ramsey Wharton, the the drummer from Ethereal Mirror. Yeah yeah. Um, they did this thing that sounds like fucking Celtic Frost and Voivod. Oh sweet. It's great. It's just real. Who put thin. that out? Uh, like... Rise above. Oh sweet. Yeah, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll get you a copy. Of yeah it. yeah. Um, it's hard to find a stateside version of it. At oh all. really? But I got a I got a promo of it months ago. Heard nothing about it anywhere. It was just like, oh shit! I'll, of course, I'll listen to it because these yeah. guys are on it. Sure. And it's, it reminds me of like, uh, like the comeback Celtic Frost record, really. Okay. Like Monotheist, yeah. not as, uh, not oppressive. as like dark, yeah, but it's still oppressive and heavy, and um, it sounds like if a potential detour if a Cathedral would have made. That's because Lehan's singing it, but he sounds like more aggressively Dorian. Yeah. It's like it sounds. I was was really Leon only was he on? Uh, I know he's on Ethereum Mirror. Was that the only record, or was he on like the Soul Sacrifice EP? I feel like he's he on was. Soul Sacrifice. He's on um, Force of Equilibrium. I thought is he? Okay, I thought so. Okay, is him, and then is Mark Griffin was the bass player. And then or when does no, when does Scott Carlson play bass with Cathedral? Was that for he comes in he just on Ethereal Mirror? It was just Ethereal Mirror for part of the tour. Just the tour, right? He didn't record yeah. with them. No, the only thing he ever recorded with them was like the. Was he on Cosmic Requiem or yes, uh, one Static of those, Magic? One or? of the I think he was on Static Magic. Okay, and he and then the last Spire, the last record. Oh they did, yeah, yeah, that's he right. He actually right. recorded with him on yeah. that too. But no, it's an interesting record. I don't. Nobody really heard about it, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> tried to like a friend of mutual friend of ours came over, um, Mark Coughlin, who runs yeah. Sour Ghost Records, and I was playing in the background. He's like, "Oh, it's us." Yeah, so it's just one of those things. It's like it's. I think it's appealing to a lot of different. It's not sure. too over the top, but it's it's enjoyable but you call it like essentially like a doom record yeah mostly sure but with like some progressive i mean you mentioned voivod it, the like... more bludgeoning aspects of voivod okay. there's not really a whole lot of pr- progressive anything to it gotcha. it's got some like lyrically is kind of interesting and i mean the name is from evil dead yeah yeah we're just workshed yeah yeah that's sweet out, but uh yeah it's, it's an interesting band i think if people get a chance just check it. i'm sure it's on youtube or something at this nice. point nice and then art project wise what do you got been anything besides Ugh. decibel stuff that people nothing super interesting um i've got a long-term thing i'm working on that i'm i still haven't divulged yet i was gonna say you, you have a secret project but you yeah it's still it's, a secret right now. i've gotten uh, it's a band related thing yeah i can say that and i've gotten all the i've gotten an incredible amount of raw materials from everybody in the band so it should be an interesting book whenever i can figure out how to put it together how to put it together Sweet. Well, and how to fund it and, you know, yeah, yeah. all that fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try to find a publisher, but. Yeah. Uh, that's like, yeah, long term. Right now, there's nothing super interesting or anything I can really talk about, but. Nice. This is the time of year when people either want stuff right now or there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, re- I did a, I haven't done any graphic design in, I don't know how many years now, but I, I just did a CD design I, I talked to you about off, off mic. Oh, yeah. From, uh, I can't remember the name of the label now. Nobody's probably ever going to see it, but I'll I'll throw it around social media once it once it comes out. But yeah. I used the, one of my paintings for the the cover and made it kind of abstracty and stuff. So it's yeah, that was interesting to do again. And it was completely I had no, basically just do whatever you want. Yeah, like oh cool. <laughs> I, was like, I was looking through all my paintings, like what could I use as a like zoom in on? I was like, oh, f- this thing's never going to use for anything. Why not just use this weird fucking bolt thrower thing I did? Yeah, yeah that's cool. <laughs> I did see it last time I was at your house. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so you know, just kind of catching you up on life with uh with us. Yeah. So there you go. But we um 
basically older shit that we've been checking out. That's kind of the, the theme of what we're kind of going with here. And um, the the next band we're going to kind of get into, this next set is kind of older stuff from kind of 70s, 80s uh, kind of era. And it's kind of fun because uh, this this band is one of the bands Mark picked out. It's something he's been kind of rocking out. And it's fun because it's been something like I kind of got into a couple years ago, uh, especially when I started putting together the history of heavy metal and I started to kind of gain a, a new sense of appreciation for him. And so um, UFO. So uh, so tell me, Mark, what, what kind of finally like kicked in the door uh, a little bit? I know I kind of always tried feeding you strangers in the night and the live shit yeah, that and stuff, stuff like that. For some reason, it didn't. It didn't hit me, and plus, I it's really hard to to shed your discrimination you have against certain things because of where you heard them. Sure, and like uh, I've never been, I've always hated Eddie Trunk, <laughs> in the sense that he's just like this. Yeah. He never changes his opinion on it. He never like progresses. It seems sure, like. sure. Yeah. And he was always the biggest proponent of UFO ever. So like, how could they possibly? Be good, even though I trust your opinion. You're like, oh, check this out. But I, but I like, always thought Steve Harris might like work because, like, Steve Harris was such a huge fan. I was like, maybe that's the the inroad for Mark, but I, I don't know. That that was for Doctor Doctor, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I didn't <laughs> didn't go beyond that. Yeah, okay. And and then just something hit me where I was listening to Phenomena. I just had it on Spotify, and I had I was doing like woodworking shit, working on the house. What's the I, one I got you for Christmas? Was that Lights Out last year on vinyl? Or was that two years ago? I know I got you like a UFO yeah, vinyl. I think, I think it was is, lights out. Yeah, I don't it was think it was phenomenal. Okay. Yeah, that the one with the the guy with the um, coverall in the front of it. Wasn't I think it? so. Is that yeah. lights out? Uh, it's it's their big one from like '77. It's like their biggest selling one. Lights out. I'm trying to remember what the frick the cover looks okay. like right now. Because I've gone back and got. I mean, you filled in a lot of gaps, right? I got everything. So I didn't get the very. The very first record I don't think is very good, is it? Well, UFO one and two is like they're like kraut rock records, actually. Okay, they're they were pretty, too expensive, so I did. I yeah, didn't I think they're hard to find. I think they were kind of on a small label. So okay, it's not really till this one that we're getting into phenomena. Yeah, phenomena was just kind of everything about it. Like vocally, nobody sounded like uh, what the fuck's his name now. I'm forgetting everybody that's in the band except for Pete Way. <laughs> Pete Way, well, Michael Schenker, <laughs> Michael Schenker, guitarist. Yeah. Um, here I'm looking. I forget the guy who sings for UFO. I should know. They're like really one of those should. bands, like Phil Mogg. Okay, yeah. Uh, Pete Way, Andy Parker is the is the drummer on this, but yeah, it's just every the bass playing. Bass playing is something that I've really like locked into a lot on, no matter what the genre is. Yeah, how how a good bass player can really really give more, um, add more to the kind of thrust of everything. Yeah, and the, you got the guitar players kind of like dancing around it, but you've got a especially if you ever watch any of uh, Pete Way's style. It was all Steve Harris. Admittedly, said he lifted all so of his lifted like it. machine yeah. gun stuff from him, and he was just a super like he was the bass player that would jump up in front of the singer, got and it. really like rile the crowd up too. Yeah, but everything about the just the subtlety of the whole thing too. It's it's like a weird era of what is this nineteen seventy seventy four seventy four seventy four yep. Like an era, it's like branching across different like into hard rock, but not super. There's still like a lot of like you know folky kind of bloated. 60s elements in there too but they work well, they're almost like a band they're sort of like operating almost at least in this era the same space is like a like, not the same space but the same kind of like genrelessness of like a wishbone ash mm-hmm. where like they're doing some like proto metal type things but they're also like firmly hard rock and you know like like after the fact it's easy to say how these things all could kind of be in a genre, but there wasn't a scene sure that these guys really they're almost like the scorpions in germany at this point because yeah. scorpions like you know, 74 is, uh, I think, Lonesome Crow is 72. 
uh, Fly the Rainbow might have been like seventy four, I think, and then In Trance was seventy five. Seventy five, okay. Yeah, so like you're you're you know, I mean, that was another band that was like they kind of were just doing their own thing in an island of yeah, you know, other other things, you know. I don't know what yeah, what they're like. I mean, you had Budgie, you had a few like other British, but they were like, but how know, so how big were those bands nationally or internationally, especially? Like, I mean, I think this, I think Phenomena was like big in england i mean i think yeah i think um dr doctor and um what's the other big song on this record rock bottom rock bottom yeah i think those yeah. were like like minor hits you know for yeah. sure you know um but but uh, you know i feel like ufo never really like hit big in the u.s as much like they're a band i talked to my dad about and he's like a big 70s rocker and he knows like a couple of those songs but he doesn't like know ufo yeah. You know, like I made him a mix of UFO for Christmas. Like, and he's like, this is pretty fucking good. Like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they were like kind of this like big band. And, you know, like he knows like most of the, the key bands, even some of like the B and C level kind of like hard rock kind of generic fucking yeah. whatever it was on any radio station at that point. And UFO was just like way off his radar screen for some reason, you know? So it's interesting though. Yeah, I, I agree because I kind of had trouble with UFO at first because of the Eddie Trunk thing, but. I don't know. I guess like a broken clock's right twice a day yeah. type thing with it, you know. And some like, of these albums, it just takes not actively listening. Like, because I had it on in uh, noise-canceling headphones, yeah. so that's all I could hear. And then it played probably two, three times, and I started catching like, oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, that's a really sweet little lick or a good vocal pattern or something. And then it just, you know, over and over and over and over. And then it just kind of like internalize the entire album so it's like sure. take some ownership of it or something and i'm just glad i'm just I, i'm tickled because that's always fun when like i've been bugging mark about a yeah. album or and a live band the, or the like strangers in the night is a great live record i was gonna too. say now you probably like it's fantastic i love the once yeah. you know the the inner word like the those all those songs front and back sure then you hear the live versions like fuck this is great and i have uh i have their box set that even has the post shanker stuff which i haven't spent a lot of time with but i've actually heard like that that stuff isn't like as bad as what you might think it is even though he left because you still had like this core of really good songwriters you yeah. know yeah i mean i don't know how much songwriting shanker actually did you know i think he was like this um, like almost like a george lynch type figure where he's this amazing guitar player but i i bet you he that came he, in with certain like the rock bottom riff yeah. he came up with and there's very like very specific stuff he came up but with. but i feel like like pete way like was writing a lot of he was like a steve harris type figure for and, his band right and uh mog as well he and played mog. guitar too okay. so he was a song major songwriter of the band yeah. as well yeah so i mean and again, I love. I Shanker. do. I just got a book yeah. about them too, but I got a Paradise Lost book, so I had to put that one aside. Yes, and yes. Yeah. Get another Paradise Lost book first. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't gotten that new Paradise Lost book, it's it's sweet. It's only available through Decibel. Yeah. Um, it's well worth it. It's written very well. Um, I'm already like 150 pages into it, so I've been sort of cherry picking it. So yeah, I. Uh, it sucks because it came like right when I was in the midst of all this like Hellenic research. And I was like, you know what? I just got to fucking do this. Like, I just got to get this because I'll feel so much better about myself when I can like say I have like these four episodes just done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like then I don't have to stress the next time we like record. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. uh, where are my notes and what, you know, what fucking songs do we want to hear? So, but uh, so I'm, I plan to dive into it over Christmas break. I'll be able to knock it out pretty quick, but. It's Another uh, chapter, chapter per album, for the most part. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of nice. one more thing about the UFO is the "Built for Comfort" is a Willie Dixon cover. Oh, nice! Which normally, at first when I heard, I was like, "Eh, skip." Yeah, but it, they did it almost as a, a ZZ Top, okay, kind of thing. So I, I like every single song on the record. Yeah, 
It's a fantastic record. It's probably my favorite UFO record, too. I think it's my favorite. This and Lights Out are my favorite studio records, yeah. for sure. Um, I still, like, Stranger Than Night is just, like... It's great. Something... It's like a greatest hits, but yet like it's a greatest hits package where like the songs are different because they're mm-hmm. live. So it's yeah. like kind of fun, you know, yeah. From that, and there's because not... you get this great rock bottom version with this like fucking incredible solo, yeah, yeah. And different things like that. So yeah, that's uh, there's not a whole lot of bands that I I don't get every every like I don't have any Rush live records, even though they're they're great. There's like certain bands that I like. I don't know if it really does anything extra. Yeah, or like. Would you actually listen to the live record if you were in the mood to listen to that band, or would you just pull out a studio record? Those are the things most like certain like Rush would be studio albums. Mm-hmm. UFO, it's a mix because that's such a great like that. The Thin Lizzy, the Judas Priest, yeah, um, all nineteen seventy you know, Maiden. Well, everybody was doing live records at well seventy nine was Priest and UFO. I think that Thin Lizzy won seventy seven. I think Live and Dangerous is seventy seven. So they yeah. actually beat everybody to the punch a little, but. I mean, like Kiss Alive and Alive Two; those are pretty. That was the era where records. the live, yeah. like the live experience, sure. really mattered. I think even like Frampton, you know, yeah. that was like a a major stepping stone for well, people. The uh, we both just picked up the Tribulation Live. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's still <laughs> alive it still and exists. dead. And, yeah. yeah, that's a great record. That's very good. They're so. they're one of those bands that I've seen so many times live that, and they always sounded better live on album too, which is a not a real common thing. Sure, this day and age. Well, one of those, the one of the last Patreon shows we did, we talked about that clandestine life. And just yeah. Kind of how interesting that was. Yeah. You know, so. So I, I'm backsliding a little bit on my stance on live records. Yeah, I guess. No, that's, that's all right. I mean, I I always love what there's like these periods where I've been friends with Mark long enough that like he has these like major like breakthrough moments like. <laughs> like we're like i remember i gotta once, get to it on my own yeah but it's, yeah uh, like i remember i used to try and hit him with like a lot of indie rock stuff and then i i don't know if i i like one day you were just like yeah i i kind of like <laughs> the gateways open a little bit same happened with jazz i think yeah um i you think had to, the, with jazz it was you know the our manager at the record store who's been I was gonna say, several mike, episodes mike johnson a little bit he asked me what i liked about metal and i told him it was about drums drums yeah and so, like, oh, here's this, 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 Fred this, Anderson, to check out and, Drake, all that and, kind of uh, stuff. Yeah. What's this not? My yeah, my jazz muscles are very atrophied at this point to think of anybody's name. Who's the the band leader that has like five thousand records out? The drummer band leader. Oh, um, Art Blakey. Art Blakey. Yeah, like great that, stuff. That shit Moaning, is what. Yeah, that, stuff, that yeah. hooked me in. I was like, okay, I like all the avant, like yeah. really, like Albert Eiler squeaking Taylor, shit. That yeah, kind of yeah. stuff was just yeah. That was my thing. So yeah, it was I cool. Find my way into it's any genre. Fun. It's yeah. just fun, you know, to to kind of break down those barriers and stuff. And I've always probably been like, out of me and Mark and Chris, like, I'm probably the most open bookish, which is like, it's it's a blessing, and a curse, because what it means is like, like I always, I'm always jealous of like how in depth like you and Chris get to sometimes like listen to stuff, and I like, I'm always like cursory glancing over too much shit. But you, like my you palate's a lot like from it too immediately too though. Yeah, I do, but it's like it's a it's sometimes I I I'm like because of necessity and survival I'm like surfacey because I like don't have like you and Chris at work get to listen to music which I'm always like fucking jealous of <laughs> you know like I can't listen to like tribulation in class like I can but like yeah I'm teaching and you know what I mean yeah beyond like, the that's I think that's that's why the show works I think too is because I think I come at it more of a like I bathe myself in the music, but you get everything else as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm trying to like pull like a lot of threads. And your your stat computer in the back like clicks in. You're like, okay, sure. I can remember all this. This is correlates to this. Yeah. yeah, it's all my history. It's like yeah. how my history brain works or whatever. So, 
but yeah, it's cool. So yeah, UFO. So Too Young to Know is uh, the song we'll kind of be rocking off of, which is the the kickoff song. So it's super fucking simple. Mm-hmm. It's just that one like little guitar lick, but it's got the that's that was the song. As soon as I heard the first track, I was like, oh, the singer's good. Yeah, it's like yeah. I, Doctor Doctor is a great song, but it's more you can hear like more. It's not just his raw voice, mm-hmm. and this is just just kind of his raw voice going. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah I, I love it. Yep, fun stuff, man. So yeah, so if you haven't gone kind of down the UFO realm, you'll probably dig this, uh, hopefully, our, our patron fans. And then um, the thing that kind of comes after that jumps uh, ahead about a decade to like 1983, and this is um, it's a band called Ashbury, and I don't know, um, it's called Endless Skies. It's and Ian it, Ashbury's yeah, solo Ian project. Ashbury, yes, I hope so. <laughs> uh, it was put out on Vintage Records, which is a subsidiary of Rockadrome uh, out of San Antonio, Texas. I know nothing about this, but that's I'd, probably a guy's closet. Yeah, <laughs> but these guys were uh, the the number one. They were Arizona band from the early 1980s. Uh, pair of brothers, Randy Davis um, and Ron Davis, and uh, yeah, it's like I don't know. Uh, Sirathun Ghoul, Manila Road. It's got like kind of. It's got a little Nugent in it. Yeah, for it's sure. It's got like a bar band feel mm-hmm. to it, like a like you just popped into some dive bar off the highway and these guys are playing, but it's like way more fantasy. I was gonna say that at the same time you've got like a wizard on the cover. You know, it's got like kind of that like it's something like you almost could hear on like Rise Above or something like that. Didn't you say yeah. like Uncle Acid? I think if it was produced, it had modern production. It could be like. An Uncle Acid record, yeah. or just something you'd see on Rise Above, and it was uh, it was put out in 2007, so it was like one of those like lost in obscurity early 80s kind of American. Was it like know, a private thing. press thing that they ever? I don't know much. Uh, I'm trying to think what it says in here. They were like the the you know Arizona like rock band of the year and battled the bands and different okay. shit like that. Um, it, I mean, it basically it sounds like they put this out and then kind of broke up, you know. Yeah, they won some awards in like the local area, and then then just got jobs. And that's kind of all it says. Yeah, I think yeah. they just kind of moved on or whatever. But it's it's a fun little discovery, and I I don't know where I came across it. Um, I think I believe maybe it was Dan Zadar who's uh, used to write for Requiem. He shares a lot of like cool stuff online, and he's an incredibly. I, I don't know if he has uh, outside of Facebook if he's got any other web presence at all. But no, but he's, he's an just, incredibly prolific and like across genre, yeah, knowledgeable really, guy. Really good. I mean, he's like kind of tapped in with like Jeff Wagner and all those guys. Like he's kind of like you know speaks that he's, language. But yeah, he's. I think he's maybe a couple years older than me and Chris. So he's like he was in the tape trading. Yep. That's where we met him was through tape trading. Through tape trading yeah. stuff. Yeah. So and he, so then he been did deep some interviews and reviews for for Requiem and yeah. I believe maybe even some early episode or issues of Eclipse. I can't remember if he stuck with it the whole way, but him and Chris go back. I think a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, they started. Well. That's that tape trading and met in person a couple times. And... Yeah, and so he he always shares like really cool stuff and um, yeah, and so that's kind of how I found it. And so there's a pair of tunes um, called Twilight, which is like an acoustic intro for like a it's like a minute or something like that minute Very and a half metallic. Like, you yeah, know, kind classical of. guitar. And then it goes so. into Vengeance, and he's really sweet vocals. Uh, you know, I mentioned Sirathon Ghoul and Manila Road, but like this guy kind of has more like a calm, cleaner style. It's not yeah. as like acidic or you know, like it's 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 kind of breathy. Yeah, it's like uh, almost sounds like he was like into like seventies Prague a little too, yeah. or like. Or like somebody that's trying to sing like David Crosby but can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like Pagan Altar was like another band that sort of like yeah. jumped out to us with this too. Especially yeah, that the Pagan Altar thing, it's mostly the songwriting. Very mm-hmm. 
um, kind of like, you know, the Celtic guitar lick kind of thing, like yeah. very traditional, yep. um, you know, taking taking folk music and turning it into, you know, hard rock riffs. Yeah, but it's just something like I put in my classroom. Like this is stuff I can listen to in the background and the kids don't like, you know, doesn't bother them at all or they don't like really have an opinion on it. So, but yeah, so we're going to, we're going to rock out to uh, some stuff here and there's a couple tunes that will come after that we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, so we'll start with UFO, Too Young to Know from Phenomenon from 1974, and then the pair of tunes from Ashbury from the Endless Skies record, Twilight and Vengeance, and then uh, a tune that Mark's, or a band that Mark's been into, New Model Army, a song called I Love the World from Thunder and Consolation, and then we'll end with New Race, uh, Sad TV from the first and the last. We'll chat about those last two when we come back.
like me would never Just try to see twice And we love the cure Amaze, surprise As the arc begins to sink This temple that is built so well To separate us from ourselves It's a power from beyond control We're without a fight I watch you from outside I wish that I could wash my
New Race with Sad TV, New Model Army, I Love the World, and then Ashbury with Twilight and Vengeance, and UFOs Too Young to Know is what sort of kick-started things off. So let's go back to New Model Army, because that was one of the picks that you uh, you kind of threw out there. Yeah, um, and I haven't, I've only listened to this band for about three days. Oh, all right. Well, so. it's <laughs> relatively new. There we go. I like it. Um, but yeah, the they've always had um, kind of like some tangential relation to paradise lost because they're both from like the north midlands got it um and they're this weird i never i've heard the name i mean everybody's that's into metal heard the sepultura i was gonna say for me it was the hunt and i from was obsessed chaos with AD. That song. Was yeah that what it, was it was chaos ad yeah. um so there's there was always been that but they were i never remember seeing it anywhere to like check out oh what's the original sound like because anytime i heard a metal cover i'd want to go and hear you know the original yeah. like i hear the atomic rooster death walks behind you pl cover and i was like oh i've got to go buy which is fun because that actually 
pays off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it's like a disappointment. You yeah. Know? But these guys are just a weird, uh, they don't really, they, they fit in loosely in the whole new wave scene, but they're a little bit more, like a little more punkish, I think, than a lot of them. Uh, great bass playing again. The, I picked the up on like some goth industrial sort of elements. Yeah. This and I don't is mean like in the Night third Inch record Nails, that we like... that we listen to. So like it's got, you can, you can tell the like, Sousa's a mercy ish. Oh, it's the fourth record. Sorry. Fourth, okay. Um, but like vengeance, no rest for the wicked. Ghost of Cain are the the first three, and they're a little bit more, a little more raw, but still basically the same type of yeah. Thing. And this like is interesting a, goth vocals. And... Well, and another fun example of like great bass playing propelling like a song. You know, mm-hmm. like I guess maybe the vibe I get from them is a little bit like a band I'm kind of probably into a little bit more maybe than Mark, but I think Mark likes them is like Killing Joke. And like, there's a little bit of that vibe to them. I haven't digested that band enough yet. They're great. I think if you're getting into stuff like this, that's like a a place you should go next. I think you'll be like, oh shit, like I should. There's there's so many British bands from the eighties. I I know. Chameleons, they're another great band. I've heard heard them. I've got some of their stuff. They're fantastic. Um, So just yeah, it's like I was telling Mark. I kind of I think growing up, like I grew up. One of the first videos I remember watching um, or, or seeing, like from a visual angle is like Duran Duran Rio mm-hmm. um, and all their videos like are really good stuff like the, that, yeah. you know? And like, I think I grew up kind of like digging new wave without really knowing what new wave was, but I was only like seven or eight. And then like, by the time you get to the nineties, there was sort of this, um, I don't know, viewpoint on that music that it was like cheesy or it didn't hold up or age very well. And, and there's also, this, we were seeing the, like the, just a tip of the whole. Exactly. All the we were scene. seeing just like the, the, so like pop edge of it. Like we, we didn't were, see like joy division or anything exactly. like the stuff that was, you know, really kind of pushing dark and yeah. yeah and like kind yeah. of was in Susie and the Banshees. I didn't hear about until like the nineties or, yeah. you know, yeah. And so like, I've kind of in, you know, my life kind of gone back and revisited all that stuff. And I've, I'm definitely at peace with all of it, you know, like, Oh I, yeah. I, dig it I have an incredible respect for that stuff now. Yeah. Like how good, how like it spurned on so many different subgenres and sure. it made its way into a lot of different metal stuff too because and i think there there's real there's a lot of similarities for um i think anything in like goth music in the 80s when i my wife's like 9 years younger than me so when i say goth she immediately thinks of the bastard diet like what what the what the 20 like the early 2000s late 90s goth oh, met yeah. Yeah. with the jinko pants and like, I don't even know what music was considered goth then, but when I say goth, I, I mean, Sisters of Mercy, Fields of Nephilim, The Cure, Depeche Mode, like that type of, yeah. that's in like junior high and high school, that was goth. Everybody yeah, wore yeah. black trench coats and, yeah. you know, there's the one guy that had the Robert Smith hair, but that was always the kind of music that I got into even before I was into metal. I liked that stuff. Something just, it, it, seemed, it was like bigger than life. Yeah. Like emotionally bigger than life or something. Well, there's a great like uh, interview with Iggy Pop, um, which will connect to the next song we're going to talk about. But um, where he, I think it's in the Metal Evolution episode where they're talking about like American um, 70s metal with like the garage rock stuff, <laughs> MC Vibe and Stooges. And he kind of talked about like the, the Detroit sound always had a sullen quality. Mm-hmm. And he says, you hear that same sullen quality in like metal, grunge, and goth music. And he sort of connects those three in like, in a weird way. Like, the, if you like had a Venn diagram, like there's some crossover with like all that stuff. Yeah, you know, very obviously. And I think a lot of it kind of comes out. It goes of back to Bowie, for sure. <laughs> well, Bowie and Velvet Underground, I think yeah. too. You know, yeah. Velvet Underground doing atonal songs about like S and M and like violas and you yeah. know, like you know, but the, stuff the like the that. vocal 
thing is definitely sure. Bowie yeah. for sure. Like he's yeah. probably Alice the most. Cooper, I think had a little. Bit yeah, the most on. unconventional pop vocalist that. I mean, he kind of permeated into everything. Yeah, Bowie. I think you can connect to almost any genre of music yeah. in a way. Um, you know, like we were just talking about the in the last talk set, the Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly, and like Bowie on his last record, the Black Star, that album about like basically him preparing it's for death. Bleak as shit. It's man. bleak as hell. But his number one influence musically was Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly, <laughs> and so like he was like a guy who was just like a tune of everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. he's a chameleon. He reinvented himself like in yeah. every decade or every five years. But and how, stuff, so. there's not a whole lot of artists that can do that no. to that to that level. Like Madonna did it, sure, to mm-hmm. some extent, sure. But like Prince, he did it, I think a little bit. I think he, yeah. there's iconic people that like resonate. But I think it's but rare. he did it successfully more than anybody else. I think. Yeah. yeah, and I think he jumped the most genres too. Yeah, you know, I think he went from like folk to like kind of like guitar rock to like synth pop. Yeah, kind of electronic thin music, white, thin white Duke era stuff, and yeah, then and then all 80s the, like, dance music, and then eighties dance, and then like by the nineties, he's doing shit with Trent Reznor, like industrial, like did kind his of uh, stuff. stint with Tin Machine, yeah, <laughs> just like a lot of you know, he's Bowie, he's yeah, he's, he's a guy. Well, that's one of those guys. That I if I ever see anything, I buy it. Yeah, if, you know, I've got it, whatever era has merit to it. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. You know, I, his death hit me harder than. Um, then like it, it kind of snuck up on me more, you know, kind of like yeah. Hanneman. When Hanneman died, like that kind of like, that like weirded me out more than like like even when Dio died. When Dio died, Dio like seemed like a legend to me, and like he was like bigger than yeah than like than stuff that I was, you know, what I mean, like he was like above all that. But like Hanneman felt like personal, and like Bowie, Bowie, I guess I didn't realize like how much he had like influenced some of my tastes when I was younger. Like he was one he of those was first with me my whole guy. life too. Yeah, you know, seeing him not just hearing his music on the radio, but like seeing him in like fantasy movies and sure, you know, the Muppet Show and whatever random shit he was. Sure, he was in. He was like a just a pop culture figure that was always there, but oh, he never, he never like hit that point of like oversaturation. He knew. Like when to step back and yeah. and plus list, listening to that, I was working at a record store when Black Star came Black out, yeah. And I've got the the die cut vinyl version. We listened to that thing like for an entire day, and it's like knowing anybody that writes something knowing they're dying is that's some fucking incredibly heavy shit. And to sure. not be, he was not. It's weird to be that like accepting. <laughs> and to give and to give yourself over to like art on such a personal yeah, level yeah. and be okay with it and not have it be like um he wasn't like objectifying himself either. That's the mm. other thing. He wasn't doing it to like sell records. He was doing it know? to come to terms with his demise. Yeah. Which is like Jesus, what a he was sort of working thing to do with some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he's just like uh he's just somebody when we listen to him in my rock class, I kinda like pause and I say, Look, I get that like maybe you might not care about anything that you just heard from David Bowie or like, he seems like a weirdo or, or something, but like to understand about Bowie is like, he was one of the first like universal artists that I think like created this big tent and big umbrella for like everybody else that was like weird and made yeah. it like completely okay to just embrace like whatever you were and who you were and like whatever you were interested in. And like, um, he sort of was empowering to, I think, a, a group of people that never had like anybody like in their corner, perhaps. Well, and his like he was the antithesis of like what the star was before that too. Yeah. This like emaciated, effeminate, 
you know, looking bisexual, like, like just yeah. all these like kind of things that were like. But everybody um, liked them. Yeah, yeah. I I can't think of anybody that's like, oh, I fucking hate that shit. It's yeah. There's, you might uh, not like every era of Bowie, but like there's some part of Bowie you probably have dug at one point in your life, and yeah. you kind of like appreciate what he was doing, you know. So yeah, I see his influence for sure in Velvet Underground, and you know, it's it's interesting when you kind of like look at the relationship that all those guys had. Um, you know, they end up hooking up obviously later in Berlin and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, he, you know, it's it's really interesting because like Sid Barrett kind of comes into that as well, and you know, like Space Oddity when Bowie wrote that was sort of like inspired a little bit by like Sid Sid mm-hmm. Barrett and like some of the weird stuff he was doing with like early Pink Floyd. And this like kind of cosmic psychedelic music or whatever, and then like when Sid went mad, that was sort of the inspiration for Bowie to like kind of create the Ziggy Stardust sort of messianic kind of like mad character that like became like the theme of that. And it's just really interesting how like there's like this Venn diagram between Velvet Underground, David Bowie, Pink Floyd, sort of like art rock stuff that was yeah. all kind of happening, and like where it all went from there. And then of course like. You know, Iggy kind of comes into play too because he ends up hooking up with all those guys in Berlin and Bowie produced like uh, Raw Power and, mm-hmm. you know, like John Cale was producing Stooges records and, you know, it's just like, yeah, like all the weirdos like all found each other eventually, you know, and like helped create punk and new wave and all this sort See, that, of stuff. That was all happening in cinema too, which is, yeah, 70s is a great, you know, 60s and 70s is an incredible time for film. Yeah, for for really culture in a, in, <laughs> yeah. a, in a sense, like at least like uh, art culture, you know, it was yeah. like the first time I think that art went like mainstream, maybe in a, in a sense, in a, in, a in America, good ways, yeah, yeah. We got like a taste of what Europe has been doing all along. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah. So the you know New Model Army is, is cool stuff. I I really dug that song. They're they're like one of those bands I always see, and I'm like very aware of them. Um. I guess some of the like, what was the connection between Paradise Lost? Like, I know I think they were from the same book. era, okay, same did, area. So they were they were like the few people that kind of got out of that. Okay, you know, did like Gregor? I haven't read all the book. Did they kind of talk about the band? Just in, just in passing. Or no, I'm, but you can I can definitely hear like like songwriting similarities, yeah. like aesthetic choices that are maybe not um, you know lifted or even inspired by, but from that same era. Sure, area. And yeah. I could hear like even some, and I mean this is obvious. This is obvious because like they're kind of I don't want to say a clone, but they're definitely like a child of Paradise Lost. But like you can even hear some of that in like Catatonia, yeah, you know, some New Model Army type stuff. There's some, yeah, that that Paradise and they Lost make, book. There's they, some good they make stuff some illusions like how yeah. when they they heard um, it's like, oh, Greg, are you, uh, you know, yeah, are you. What the hell's the moonlighting of the other band? Swedish here? <laughs> Swedish band. Yeah. I mean and and Catatonia like openly admits that like Paradise yeah. Sauce was like a huge influence on them, you know. So. That's they're the first band I ever heard and was like, wow, these guys like nobody else either nobody else could do it or nobody else did like glom onto what I really, you know, was drawn to on Greg's guitar playing. Sure. So Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um and like I said, kind of speaking of Iggy and, and some of the kind of the weird I don't know weird stuff that was happening in the late sixties, early seventies, we get to new race and, uh, they're, they're a band Mark and I have known for years. I mean, this goes back to like maybe the end of high school for me when Mike, maybe our old manager introduced me to this stuff. Cause, um, he was the one that obviously got me into like Stooges and MC five in like a big, big way. Yeah. You know, he's done the episodes on Stooges and MC five with us. And another band that he kind of turned both of us on to was radio Birdman and the new Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were sort of like the Australian versions of some of the spirit and energy of that 
kind of punk garage kind of thing that was happening out of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And Dennis Tech was the guitar player for Radio Birdman. Um, and he had grown up in Detroit and then moved to Australia, I believe. Um, yeah, I think with his family when he was with younger. With his family when yeah. he was younger. So he, he sort of like was absorbing some of that MC5 Stooges kind of stuff, but then took it like down under and yeah. uh, kind of started Radio Birdman as like this kind of Detroit Australian punk rock band in the mid 70s. And then uh, they broke up, and the, the vocalist from that band, Rob Younger, mm -hmm. did he go on and do, is that when he did, like, The Visitors and some of that stuff? Um, I can't remember who did. but I don't remember the timeline of the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, um, but eventually Rob Younger will start a band in the 80s called The New Christ, which has, you know... Which is great. Uh, great stuff, <laughs> yeah. But in between all that, after Radio Birdman sort of broke up, Dennis Tech kind of got in touch with Scott Ashen from the Stooges and Dennis Thompson from MC5 and then Rob Younger, who had sang with uh, Birdman and Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis? Warwick Davis is uh, Warwick Gilbert, right? <laughs> yes. Warwick, Warwick Davis is, uh, it, is Wicket. Is, is Wicket. Yeah. And, yeah, or, and also... And uh, Willow as the, well. Uh, oh, shit. The, the fucking HBO show that lasted this Yeah, season. yeah. Whatever that was. That was fantastic. And they uh, they threw together this sort of like garage rock super group, and this is a new race. And it was um, I was teaching last trimester, and we got to the garage rock thing, and I had some kids that were kind of interested in some of this kind of stuff. And so I, I pulled these records out for the first time in a while, and you know it's been a while since you've listened to them, right? You know, new race probably a few years. Yeah, I mean, even Radio Birdman, it's been a while. But I've got uh, the the last record they did, Zeno Beach for the reunion or it just yeah. sounds like everything else. Yeah. But I ha actually have a LP version of that. So I throw that on every once in a while, but, but this is a uh, first and last, basically they didn't do any studio stuff. They just did some shows and then they recorded stuff. And uh, for a long time, they were just like bootlegs rolling around, which Mark and I both have a few of those bootlegs. Mm -hmm. And then this was like kind of put out as like, I guess a proper version of a live bootleg on total energy, which is that, Label that put out a bunch of MC5 stuff. Are they from like Allen Park or something? Does it say where I they're from? I can't remember where we're, we're total, total energy's out of. Yeah, it might be. Alive Total Energy. No, it looks like LA. Oh, is it? California. Yeah. Okay. So. It just and, seemed like it would have been, you know, Dennis Thompson's neighbor or something. Yeah, but it was uh, 81 was when they did kind of did this tour and there's like, uh, you know, Iggy Pops showed up and sang at one of their dates and stuff like that. So it was essentially like a super group of basically this Detroit rock kind of sound and um, sad TV for me has always been my favorite version on this. Um, I think it was originally a Birdman song, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. And, but the solo that Dennis Tech plays here is just like mind blowing. I mean, there's so much feel and it just kind of builds. And then Dennis Thompson, like, just keeps adding layers with like propulsing things and stuff with doing the a line of cocaine and just, yeah, probably just going like out of his mind, shit. swearing and doing crazy <laughs> stuff. And, um, he's always, he's the most intense one in that, uh, MC5 documentary. Yeah. With, he's when he's the, in his kitchen wearing his Detroit Red Wings hat and stuff. He's the only one that I would, you know, walk the other side of the street if he's coming toward yeah. me. When I interviewed him for the, for CNN, for that, that thing that I did, like, like he was cool. Like he didn't, like, yeah. he didn't kind of strike me. Michael Gilbert was, uh, or Michael Davis was like the one that was like, he was sort of like the stoned out, like, he was, hey, man. He's been a space case Yeah, for he's a just kind of spacey. Time. And then Kramer was like, he obviously dominated Brother Wayne, the conversation. Brother Wayne Kramer, yeah. yeah. Yep, so. But anyways, New Race, yeah, if you don't know, if you were a fan of Stooges MC5 and that kind of stuff, this is a great record to check out. It's just like a fun, like, rollicking listen. You know, these guys in, like, Sonic's Rendezvous band would be another cool, like, link, missing link, that if you yeah. don't know. kind Bands of Bands that, that nobody really 
people knew them at the time, yeah, but not in a national sense. They're more kind of just like local anomalies until, you know, the whole garage rock, you know, revival sure. thing came around and people were like, oh shit, this stuff yeah. is amazing. Yeah, I'm sure this is stuff like that. You know, like Jack White probably had a hold of some of these bootlegs too because he's a big fan of of this and grew up in Detroit. But you know, he just doesn't get talked about in in circles that much anymore. No. Radio Birdman's a band that should, probably should have been bigger than they are, you know, but they're yeah. just... Yeah, they didn't last very long either, though. Yeah, they just kind of... I don't know, but I think they came from the wrong continent, too. You know, like, yeah. the British punk thing was blown up, and they were, like, in Australia, you know? They were, like, I mean, they were kind of maybe even considered, like, dinosaurs at that point, because what they were doing wasn't, sure. well, like, they the had cutting edge. guitar solos. And, I mean, yeah. like, they were, like, more musical, you know, yeah. in a, in a yeah. sense, you know, even though they had, like, that punk spirit that, you know, Stooges and MC5 had, but... They weren't like nihilistic, you know, and yeah. stuff like that, or deconstructivist, yeah. you know, liberty stuff. spikes and yeah, absolutely all the bullshit. So uh, now we go in a completely different uh, realm, and we're gonna kind of start with, um, you know, Mark was talking about kind of house cleaning music before, and um, you know, putting on headphones and just kind of losing yourself in some albums, and this is sort of where I kind of got into. Um, I've always been into this band for years, as Mark has as well, but I don't know how familiar you are with the kind of like post tapping the vein era of Sodom stuff. I was kind of unfamiliar with it. I was aware of it. I've always been it. a proponent of tapping the vein. I think it's a great, it's great record. It's That's a great what I'm record. Saying, but I'm saying beyond that, yeah. did you know? I just didn't. I just never. Yeah. Never listened to it. But they're, they're, they're consistently, out of the, I would say out of the big three German thrash bands, mm-hmm. they probably have the most consistent career. I agree. Yeah. I don't think there's like. It's, it's consistently good. Destruction has a lot of. <laughs> Yeah, as well as like creator, creator in the with, early nineties, like, like post uh, renewal, coma of soul, and was stuff was just kind of yeah, yeah. yeah no, cause, Sodom just cause kinda... for conflict was that one too? Is that a creator's album? Cause for conflict. or is that just the greatest hits? It's definitely something, and I can't remember where it came. I just out. remember they had a couple that I was just like completely was renewal disappointed the one with at. like the angel like wings. It's got a praying mantis on the front. Praying mantis. Okay, there's one. There's a creator that has like angel wings. It almost looks like Archangel from like X Factor, like getting like pinned up against a wall, like oh, almost like crucified angel type looking thing. They did a, um, a lot of turds until like early 2000s i think then they came back with one where i was like oh shit they finally decided that yeah we're i think they started band. to emerge yeah like yeah. late 90s early 2000s yeah. they kind of started to make a comeback but enemy of god there's one before yeah. that i think yep. that's yep. but like sodom was like they're always this band i i heard like their post tapping the vein stuff is like consistently great and that they got kind of more into uh like war war thrash is what they sort of call it yeah a little bit which kind of like at first you know i didn't know if it was like some kind of like like quasi like patriotic you know like I, I didn't know what that meant you know or if it was like something cool like bolt thrower you yeah, know so yeah. that's which is kind of more what this m16 record is and um i have a lot of this stuff now because i went back after um i was power washing and um restating my deck this like summer and uh i just kind of like i don't know put a sodom <laughs> record on and had my noise canceling headphones and next thing you know i'm like three records in and this one in particular really stuck with me this whole record m16 which uh i believe came out in 2001 to yeah 2001 on steam hammer so and it's kind of like a it's a loose concept record based on the vietnam war it's not like i don't know i don't think it's, it's like not telling, probably it's super like, researched or no but you know there's songs like, like uh among so. the weird kong uh, Napalm in the Morning, Genocide, Little Boy, Marines. Um, they even do a cover of Surfin' Bird. Wow. 
Yeah, which we're not playing that. So you know, bird, 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 yep. bird, the word. But you know, whatever. They're, Fuck, Tapping the Vein fun. was '92. I know. Yeah, Jesus. And they were putting out like they had a self-titled record and a couple other things in the '90s that were pretty good. The yeah. only reason I remember I ever listened to Tapping the Vein because I got back when they'd send CD promos. Uh huh. I actually put it on. I was like, "This is good." Yeah. Because <laughs> all that I'd heard was before that that I really that stuck with me was like obsessed by cruelty yeah like outbreak of evil and yeah like agent orange i was always kind of iffy on too but i was like oh this is just like great which agent orange is now a great record yeah yeah those are like and and so like they're a band like we we've done a creator show but we probably need to do um you know some some more german thrash stuff down the road yeah it's definitely been been i mean they've got a pretty good yeah there's three four five well and then like like, 15 16 albums yeah i know so i don't don't know how you (laughs) tackle that if you just do it in like a you obsessed know, by cruelty error. might deserve its own and then kind of do something else but yeah i think obsessed and then uh what was the one after obsessed by cruelty persecution mania that one's pretty fucking great bob and yeah. Hoggle. i could talk about bob and Hoggle for like <laughs> for a long time but so this is the title track m16 it's uh it's good stuff you know it's just kind of great like war thrash catchy it you know i wouldn't compare it to bolt thrower but in the way that bolt thrower has this like sort of incessant sort of like repetitive but like catchy kind of quality to it. I think that definitely exists in this era of Sodom. Yeah. Whereas like you go back to like early Sodom and it was real, like it was almost like proto death metal. You know I mean? It was like the rawest of maybe those three bands. Um, oh yeah. Easily. I think, you so. know, and so like and the, le- the most simple, yeah, most straightforward. Yeah. I it was like real, them. real, you know, you could see a, a more straighter path between like Sodom and death metal and Sodom and black metal than maybe you could with creator or destruction. Yeah. You know, Destruction was almost like too good guitar playing, you know, for some of those black metal bands or, or death metal bands at first. You know? I remember, yeah, first playing that for like a guitar friend of mine, a guitar player friend. He's like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, what, what the hell is this? But, uh, but yeah, that's one of the things that got him into playing technically was, sure. was that. So. Yep, yep. So we're going to go from Sodom and then we're going to go to something that Mark just uh, introduced to me today. And I'm so glad he did. <laughs> so tell us about... Uh, but World War Three. World War Three. Well, this is something I just discovered yesterday. Uh, friend of ours, uh, Jamie Yar. He's a longtime drummer. Uh, he was in the band Beast in the Field. Sure, it's yeah. probably if anybody knew him for anything, it was for that. It's all available online. I'm sure. You should check out Beast in the Field if, if you love like Sabbath and Doom and it's a, it's yeah, it's instrumental. Uh, you know, two piece, very loud. You know, check out Through the Fires of Hell. That's a good starting song. That, that's some, like a some good stuff yeah. there. But he's a, I mean, he's he's about f- five years older than me, so he's, I think he turns 50 this year. Yeah, he knows his shit. So he grew up in, like, he grew up when, 70s is when he started getting into music. So, like, yeah. hard rock was, that was his launching off point. So he's been through, and he's listens to everything. He's that like, guy that's, like, classic, like, he, he'll tell you, like, every, like, hit single that, like, Y&T put out. Yeah, and like, everybody's name that yeah, played like, on the record. Every, like, you know... Like the good and the bad Michael Schenker group solo records, and you know, like, yeah. like which is cool, but it's like, man, that he's got like this encyclopedic knowledge on like Ingve Malmsteen and you know stuff like that, and like every know. tangential person that ever played with like Dio, like World War Three is this dude from Germany called Mandy Lyon. Yep, I don't sweet vocalist. <laughs> he's he's a fucking just really bizarre. Um, it's like it starts out a little bit like later career alice cooper mm-hmm. and then when he starts yelling i don't even know how to describe what his fucking voice well, is there's doing some, like um you mentioned cinderella so there's like a kind of a tom Kiefer 
Stephen Piercy rat, that real raspy like rasp kind of quality. But he does some of it at full voice, mm-hmm. which I can't imagine you could keep well, your it's career going. Like, that uh, way. I, I also point out like Jeff Tate, but like a raw Jeff Tate, like, like with laryngitis like, or something. Yeah, like yeah. but but like going for gusto, kind of like Jeff Tate. You know, like Piercy and Kiefer like always kind of kept it like within yeah. their like ability and that it was limited. But well, like it was, he looks good. like Carl McCoy from Fields of Nephilim too. His big, oh yeah, like, leather hat and duster yeah, yeah, yeah. on and shit. We kind of looks like Ian Astbury in early yeah. cult stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so. it's also got uh, Jimmy Bain, Vinny App- Appice, and. Um, Fuck what the hell's the other dude's name? That I Tracy G. Tracy from, G. Uh, Dio from Dio. So there's a lot of Dio, basically an entire Dio backing. Well, band like Vinny Peace, um, he was on Mob Rules with Sabbath, and then yeah. I think he went on at least the first. I don't know if he I think he was on, on the first three Dio's. Everything wasn't he? Dio, yeah, at least a handful of Dio's. Yeah, yep. And then Jimmy Bain. Did Jimmy Bain come directly from Rainbow, or was he just on the Dio solo stuff? Something I'll have to like check out. He might have been on some Rainbow. I feel like he was with Rainbow. He might have been on Post Dio Rainbow. Hmm. Did he come over right over on? Uh... I feel like he might have been on some of those Dio kind of. I've ones, got the internet but... right here. Okay, so, so I'm going to tell you. But yeah, so it's it's like I don't know the other band that kind of came to mind a little bit. Um, even though like the guitar playing is like way superior in World War Three, is uh, I played Mark Love Hate. Which they're yeah. kind of like this raunch, like but the vocals and love hate are like great. acidic and just like sleazy and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, um, but yeah, so it's so he was on Rising. Okay, see, yeah, yeah, I thought he was on the classic on stage stuff. and then live in Germany. But then he went on to do he was on Black Rose with Thin Lizzy. Oh no shit! Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so he's a journeyman why... bassist then. He must have been playing. Was he playing guitar on that record? Jimmy Bain, really? Oh, he just says do bass guitar in one song. Yeah. Okay. Okay. okay got it. And but, then uh, he was on with a Phil and not solo stuff too. Okay. Which is kind of sad to listen to, but I haven't really heard that stuff. Um. And that piece was on everything up until uh, Killing the Dragon. No shit. Yeah. So he was like the him and Dio were tight. Then going back to Mob Rules. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, Tracy G. Um, strange story, but. You know, because of my age difference from Mark, like my entryway into some of these classic metal bands is so fucking bizarre. You know, like the first Black Sabbath I heard was like Dehumanizer and like Yeah. Um It's not a bad one for your no, first it's, one. It's, too. it's it's you know, Wayne's World soundtrack in seventh grade. You know, yeah. kinda and from there I got um like the local radio station I was listening to was playing like a brand new like Dio song and it was um trying to remember what the fuck the name of the song was but it was off strange highways and so i bought strange highways um probably from weird, columbia house weird album yeah yeah uh and so like that was my introduction to like solo dio like way before you know like the classic stuff you know yeah. from like 83 and 84 and stuff you don't remember hearing any of it on the radio like holy diver or i like honestly like oh, this is gonna sound strange but holy diver really became like apparent to me with like pat boone <laughs> Yeah. The in the metal mood, though. Yeah, in album. the metal mood. Yep. And uh, it's not that I hadn't heard it, but that was the first time it, like, kind of was put out there in a way where I, like, had to, like, consider. Because you got to remember, like, Dio was sort of not cool. Like, we were not into Dio, like, that much. Well, um, and also, like, like his... Like, in that era. In that, like, era of, like, 92, His height was till, like, 83 to 87. Yeah, and then... And then Strange Highways is, like... 
and he kind of well, and even like some of the stuff before Strange Highways was like a little iffy, dreamable and intermission. Or well, intermission's just that live record, but uh, Sacred Hearts not it's great, not that great. Yep, uh, Dream Evil isn't that great. It's yeah, it's a little better than Sacred Heart, but yeah, not, yeah, not but great. yeah, the first two are like just a sure. double kick in sure. the face. Well, and, and it was strange because like we tell that story all the time about seeing My Dying Bride and not giving two shits about Dio. And yeah. that's like a metaphor for sort of where Dio's career was. That was the Angry Machines tour. Before he kind of like, kind of made like a comeback in a way. Well, he went from playing arenas to playing bowling alleys. Yeah. Which is where we saw And then came bride. back with, uh, especially with the, the Sabbath stuff. Yeah. When he started Heaven doing and like the Heaven and Hell stuff. Um, yeah. I just think there was like a re like a rediscovery and honestly as strange as it sounds tenacious d had a lot to do with dio making a comeback and i know some people like i'm not that big of a tenacious d fan like jack black's like you know whatever but like i like his mr show work <laughs> yeah i was gonna say them you know them talking about dio so much like got an entire generation like locked on to dio well and they were already coming like in um 96 97 98 um, all the castle reissues of Maiden came out. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, that was '95 actually. Yeah, um, but that made me go back and rediscover Dio. Got because it. Because you could get Dio records for 25 cents. Yeah. And I remember bulking up my back, and that was all. Dio was also a, like a thing that the people I lived with that weren't necessarily metal people they liked Dio. Yeah, yeah. It was just like a, like people's like older brother grew up on it or something. Sure, so it sure. was just like a, a little bit of it was coming back through again. But and I like here's the thing like. I was into Dio Sabbath. Don't get me wrong. Like I had like Sign of the Southern Cross or uh, Mob Rules on cassette tape. You mm-hmm. know, so like, like I was into it. Like even in like early high school and stuff. But I guess I just never went backwards and got those Dio solo records because nobody I was hanging out with was telling me I needed to. It wasn't really yeah. until I started hanging out with like older metalheads that yeah. like I knew I. It's like Priest for me. Like I just stumbled on. Uh, I remember going to New Moon where Mark and I worked and like. There was a stained class on cassette tape and Grand Corcoon is used that's to be. That's a weird like, that was the first one? That was the first That's priest. a weird one to get. But like I love Beyond the Realm of Death yeah. and Exciter. And like yeah. I was like, this is pretty cool, but like, man, his vocals are like they're a lot to handle. You know, yeah. when he was like, Stand back for Exciter. You know, yeah. like I was like, Is this like what's up with this? You know? <laughs> like I think I knew priests from like uh You Got Another Thing Coming. I think I heard that on the radio occasionally or whatever. And uh, yeah. people made reference to it, but I actually thought like breaking the law and stuff well, beefs and butthead. My my yeah, there yeah, that's why I knew Judas Priest, you know. Um but like my perception of some of that stuff was that it was like it was like a little more dangerous than like what I grew up listening to. You yeah. know, like Motley <laughs> Crue and Def Leppard, and yeah. then there was like there was like priest and maiden, and so I was like a little leery of those bands when I was growing up because yeah. I like thought they were like a little scarier. And now like I laugh about that, but they were they were more serious at least. Yeah. You got to admit that yeah. you know they weren't poison. Because I, I so. my I think it was just my uncle was a huge Judas Priest fan. I remember like when he still lived with my grandma, and we'd go there for Thanksgiving or something. I'd walk past his room to go to the bathroom. Yeah, and just see the posters everywhere. Yeah, in that's his awesome room. I remember like the cover and like being like, whoa, like that eagle and like the fucking defenders of faith. Yeah. You know, like those covers were like kind of weird me out. Because I thought the imagery was cool, but I didn't think my uncle was cool. So I didn't, nothing <laughs> yeah, gave me the incentive to, to like, and he never like, oh man, come check this out. Let's listen to some records. Like I never had that. That sucks. Any yeah. kind of, uh, anything with and that. So I think my dad was like into Priest a little bit. Not much. Like, I think they were probably <clears throat> a little hard for my dad, but like, yeah. I think he liked a song or two, but it's just like. My dad wasn't like he. Whenever we talk music, he like be like foreigner, bad company, or you know, like the fun stuff, stuff. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, 
But anyways, long story short, Tracy G, Strange Machines, like I kind of like, I dig his guitar playing, you know, mm-hmm. and I always thought he was like kind of underrated. That Strange Machines record is not like, it's got an interesting sound, interesting production. It's kind of like. It's trying to sound modern. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like kind of heavy in like a, it's not a grunge record because that's not what it's trying to do, but it just had like more of that like thick kind of like. I forget, this has Jeff Pilsen on drums or on bass too. On Strange Machines. Hell yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. Rockin' with Dockin', baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so it's, it's cool too and love you to death. And the solos, like Tracy G plays like two solos on this record that I thought were just absolutely killer. So, yeah. So thank you, Jamie, for showing yeah, us this. If you, if you can find this anywhere, it's, it's uh, it seems to be fairly expensive, but you can listen to it all on YouTube Absolutely. as usual. Absolutely. So, and then we're going to end with a, a pair of black metal tunes. So we're going to go <laughs> kind of just all over the map here. <laughs> But uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about these songs when we kind of come back. But um, so we've got Sodom M16 from the M16 record, uh, World War II's "Love You to Death" from their self-titled record. Then we're going into Finland with Pest, a song called "Satanic Winter," and we'll talk more about that when we come back. And then we're ending with Mayhem with "Dark Night of the Soul" from Chimera. So interesting. <laughs>
Mayhem, Dark Knight of the Soul, Pest, Satanic Winter, World War III, Love You to Death, and Sodom's M16. So, 
Um, yeah, that pest thing is, again, something I, I came across um, being shared possibly on YouTube or Twitter. Um, someone was ranting about how it's amongst the most underrated kind of collections of like kind of Finnish black metal. Um, I listened to a couple songs on YouTube because you can't even find it on Spotify. It's, it's you know, one of those things. It's, it's a little tricky to... Spotify, yeah, is, is not great for obscurity. Yeah, it's kind of hit or miss <laughs> with, with different things. But um, if you're on a, a label that has more than 10 releases, maybe, but mm-hmm. this is out of some dude's... You know, yeah, this is out of Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania. Um, Redstream, I think, put it out. Uh, Blood Fire Death is the name of the record label out of Pennsylvania, and then I think it was distributed through Redstream. Okay, do you it's remember? A pretty prolific, you know, distro company. Yeah, did Brian did stuff through Redstream? Didn't he? Didn't he used to get boxes, Brian Allen, and through? Redstream? Oh, he do wholesale stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think he so. would do stuff through there. He was a guy. He was my old roommate. That Funeral used to Doom for, shit uh, and Eclipse. Yeah, it's funeral the, doom, like black metal, Bethlehem and stuff, stuff and... like that. Yeah, but yeah, these guys are uh, they're Finnish. This is the late '90s. Uh, the name of the collection is called "Hail the Black Metal Wolves of Belial" compilation that came out in 2007. But this song itself um, comes from '98, and you know, basically, it had come out on an EP called "Towards the Bestial Armageddon." Um, I don't know a lot about them. They they kind of didn't really make it up until I think they kind of broke up in the early two thousands. But the main guy that like kind of put them together, or at least he emerged out of the ashes of them, is this guy called uh, Satanic Warmaster, and he went on a bunch of other kind of black metal bands. Um, I was kind of looking him up on Metal Archives, and do they? He go? To, he is from uh, Satanic Warmaster. Yeah, so he found. You know, kind of started his own band out of it and, and things like that. But it's, you know, a lot of Venom, Bathory. Um, you even hear, like, Born for the Burning, uh, kind of, like, riffing in, in that song. Um, you know, there's a, that black metal band. you remember Mystifier? Mm-hmm. They kind of, you know, like, kind of connect to that. But, you know, Finnish black metal is, like, a weird... It's, it's like, you know, like, you think of, like, Impaled Nazarene. There's just, like, a weird... It's hard to get like a hold on like what the sound of like finished. I don't know if there was, was a sound. It was yeah. all across the board, we, it, like in a weird way. Because uh, Beharut, 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 Beharut. Yeah, they were Finnish, right? I think they were like the the first like big yeah. Finnish, you know, black yeah. metal band. You know, on Wild Rags. Oh yeah, there you go. I used to trade them at CDs for ad space. So. Oh, did you? Yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> but uh, they you could get the Behemoth Pagan oh, Wastelands. Yeah thing and they had like four things that were good and the rest of it was just like ugh. yeah i feel like maybe some of that early like polish black metal and early finnish black metal had like a lot in common they were just kind of like undefinable you know or something and there's such a, a desire for anything black metal yeah there's like we'll we'll fucking take anything at this point especially early on but yeah but this is something i just kind of like said i got a hold of and uh just popped it in my car and just drove around for like three three weeks just occasionally like just rocking it out, and it's, you know, it's grim, but it's it's got like a kind of an R noir type feel to it, where it's just like kind of that catchy kind of aspect. Um, well, I like the the production is just fucking awful in the best possible way. Yeah, the solo work and stuff is just real like in and echoey, and like when guitars punch in, you can almost hear the button as it's yeah, doing it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great. great. Yeah, so I mean, for people that like kind of you know the Cavalt stuff, I think that's where they got like kind of a big reputation, almost like. Um, you know, maybe comparable to like bands like Vaughn, you know, and like yeah. the reputation that they got and like the stuff that like Watain was kind of drawing from in their kind of early years and, and things like that. And, 
you know, it's interesting because like 98, such like a high point for like symphonic black metal, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's kind of like a, this is definitely like the counter to all that, you know? And I was into the symphonic stuff at the time, but I, I probably wasn't listening to as much grim shit at this point, you know, like. I was going back and forth, I think, on a lot of this stuff. But I mean, I was living with Chris in 98, and Chris was like way more into like the polished side of black metal. And so yeah, that had a big influence his more on taste. me, you know, so. What what was the big shit besides like? Like 98, you had like. Arcturus, Borknagar. Cra- uh, Cradle. Cradle. This was like Pete Cradle, like um, Demu. Cruelty and the Beast. Yeah, Demu. Spiritual Black Dimensions, I think, was okay. like 98, 99. Like, Gehenna was one of those symphonic bands that came through that ended up... Yeah, they had enough grim stuff underneath still the symphonic harsh. stuff. Yeah, yeah that, that worked really well. Uh, but Satyricon, this is like Rebel Extravaganza, like 98, 99. Yeah, Thorns, they kind of, you know, you know, shook all that stuff pretty hard away. Yeah, uh, but it was a, kind of yeah. a weird weird time. You know, Emperor was kind of doing... Um, uh, what was the record after Anthem's? Why can't I think of Nine Equilibrium? Yeah. You know, so it was kind of like that sort of stuff. Enslaved was doing like Mardrum and Eld. And, you know, it's just like a weird, very weird time for black metal. So, yeah. It, it makes sense that a band like this like snuck out, you know, like no one. Paid There's another to 40 them. that are probably exactly interesting that yeah. we'll never ever yeah. talk yeah. about. These guys seem to get like a little bit of attention enough that like I kind of like. I remember hearing the name. I was like, that's an interesting name. And they've, they've got the very possessed logo, yeah. you know, the devil tail and stuff yeah. like that. And I don't know, like, I don't know anything about Satanic War Master. I, I you know, like, in, like, doing some kind of, like, research and stuff, it seemed like maybe there was, uh, I don't know, maybe he he dabbled in some of, like, the weird kind of stuff that Finland has going on. With, there's some social, there's some nationalist yeah. stuff going on with it as well. Yeah. Um, I don't and know. I don't know if that's the truth. I passed, I mean, all these songs just seem to be, like, Satan, you know, this kind of stuff. But that's just so. what I saw on, on Wikipedia. Yeah. Who knows what's, you know, what actually happened. Or if it was just somebody like, oh, he had a book on Nazis in his house. Like, yeah, and I, I that stuff so like, man, it's like, uh, it's tough right now. Well, it's, it's tough to like kind of know what the tolerance should be or how to handle it or. I think you got to kind of. How to separate it or. I yeah, just do, use your own, your own taste. I think, and, and you know, what, what level of it is really, because the thing that annoys me is the stuff about um where people are like boycotting concerts for no reason yeah outside of just like they bought nazi memorabilia who fucking cares yeah are you gonna boycott the museum that has nazi memorabilia sure. in it? it's yeah. not hanneman had that stuff too but yeah. that's because his dad fought in world war or his grandpa fought in world war ii and gave him that shit as like yeah kinda... and plus it's in, like as a kid i used to have fucking swastika little ss badges from the what do you call it the army surplus store oh, yeah, yeah. because you have an interest in evil yeah, it's not because you're you agree with the ideologies of yeah. <laughs> fucking fascists. Well, like punk rockers and stuff used to like wear like Susie from Susie and the Banshees and yeah. some of the, the like they would do it almost to like just a, as a, like a point of annoyance or antagonism or something like that. Yeah, and again, I'm sensitive to all that being a history guy for sure, and so I have like kind of real mixed feelings about it. You know, I'm I tend to be more of a Nazi punks fuck off type of guy. You oh, know? for sure. <laughs> you know, but like Marduk can talk about the horrors of World War yeah, II. Yeah, for sure, because it's a We've never experienced anything like that in that scale. I mean, it's like since. I never thought Slayer was a Nazi band because Angel of Death, you know, and some people did. With you a, know, a Cuban because... guy and a dude from Peru yeah, or Chilean I mean, guy. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, come so, on, guys. Just Jesus. It's like a, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to make any blanket statements because it's by maybe like a case to case basis. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I've had trouble because like I dig from a musical standpoint. I don't pay any 
I barely, pay, I never pay attention to the lyrics of like black metal bands, like unless you're like doing something like Emperor, I would read their lyrics sometimes because they're yeah. slave because they're like, you know, they're decent. But um, that Migla band, you know, MGLA, mm -hmm. um, they're really good. But like supposedly they're connected in with, with some of that kind of stuff. And it's like, are they American? No, they're, they're Pol they're Polish. Polish. Yeah. Okay. They kind of like sound like Ueda and Dawn and, and some of that kind of okay. stuff. And that's like my sound. And so I kind of like got tuned into them a bit. And then like the more I read up on them, I'm like, <sighs> it's just like shrug, you know, like, God damn it. You know, yeah. um, it's like, I don't know. And like sometimes with like politics stuff, like I can be a little bit more like I can still pull out some Burzum records and listen to them for being Burzum records. But I could give a shit about like what is i don't care about his, his bullshit is no. you know what i mean like so i think to me, there's like an aesthetic that was everything till philosophy if yeah. without burzum there's no black metal scene as we know it right yeah. now so it's it's tough man i don't know so i definitely don't give the guy money anymore but yeah also everything yeah. from his back catalog goes right to the norwegian government I believe. yeah i was gonna say yep. so it's, he's not really getting anything out of it anyway yep. so yep. you're helping you know helping like a daycare center and yeah there you go been, <laughs> <laughs> fucking norway who there knows but uh, but at least you know. So, anyways, I don't know what like past doesn't seem to give me that vibe based on like the song titles and shit. You know, what I mean, it's yeah. like the Black Forest towards the bestial Armageddon, the opening of Eye of Satan. You know, what I mean, it's just like it's satanic black bullshit. mass. Yeah, yeah, it's just like bullshit kind of stuff. So, but let's move on to a less controversial band, uh, Mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> so, no one no one has any aspirations of controversy here. So. Mark, you've had a recent uh, re realignment of some of your perceptions of mayhem. A lot of things, yeah. A lot of old. Um, this is something everybody should do. Old having old, uh, reexamining old ideas and why yeah. you keep them. Um, just like with UFO and my hatred of Eddie Trunk or yeah. my, my dislike of his. You can still like you can still hate see. Eddie Trunk and like UFO though. I'm yeah, pretty, I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> but like mayhem is one of those bands where when you know, I was there when D, D Mysterious came out and it was a huge. Mm -hmm. A huge deal, and then Uranus is dead, and then another, you know, then Grand Declaration of War comes out. I was like, "What the fuck are they still doing, putting albums out?" Yeah. So I had a, I think a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about that stuff, and just didn't give it a chance. And the first time I heard Maniac's vocals was not on this stuff. It might have been on was it Wolf Lair Abyss? Was that the first EP that came out yep. after Demonstrious? Yeah. I didn't like his voice because I thought like Attila was so unique, unique and yeah, interesting sure. and. That why, you know, so I've just not ever gone back and listened to any of this shit. And then last year or the year before or something, Season of Mists reissued. It was last year. All of the Mayhem Back catalog yeah. stuff. So I, I ended up getting Grand Declaration. I think last year we went to Decibel uh, Beer Fest. They played two years ago, I think. Or was it last well, year? They but played? I bought it at a the oh, record store there. Yeah, so yeah, I, okay, I, yeah. for, I gave that a listen. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I picked up the rest of the catalog. So I've, I've got the whole Mayhem discography. And I was like, why? I was three records short. Why not yeah. just finish it off? Like even but, Ordo is a interesting record. I haven't gotten into that one yet. but yeah. It's not but, my favorite out of them. But yeah. like it's got some cool shit. You but know? from going, like I was reading an interview with, uh, with Necro Butcher. And he says this new Mayhem record is the best thing they've done since Chimera. I was like, yeah. okay, that's an interesting yeah. And I like statement. Damon a lot. I do too. It's so really I, good. I went back and listened to Chimera. I was like, this album's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was I, I waiting for? Jesus Christ. And then like, I, I'm lucky in that I didn't have like some of those kind of hangups or whatever, but uh, I, I haven't been like a huge Chimera person, but I've had it and I've, I've kind of dug it. I think I like Grand Declaration of War a lot. Um, 
maybe not right away. It took me a while to sort of like figure that record out, but I kind of yeah kept took, going back to it a little. And when I, I mean, I had listened to it when it first came out, not interested at all. I just thought it was garbage. And then with context, going back, it's like, oh, this is like, what else could you really have done to follow up D Mysterious? You've yeah. got you're just trying to be confrontational. There's lots of different ways to do that. Yeah, and being extreme, you don't have to just be, you know, as fast as possible or as whatever. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I almost see them like, um, I guess I never appreciated Mayhem at the time for being like almost like a art rock collective mentality. Yeah. It's kind of almost how they approach like some of the stuff that they're doing. You know, I think that's why Thurston Moore is such a fan of the band and why he you know published that necro butcher book the yeah. death archives because i think he hears like some of that kind of like, yeah art there, there's theory. like more than just the you know sensationalism of the whole thing and i think it's why attila works with him when he does yes. the things that he does because he's his approach is so non-traditional it's vocally it's it's performance art yeah it's yeah. he's he's a great and it, you've seen mayhem before you could realize his like how into it he is sure and sure. it's not just you can tell when guys are just putting on airs but he's like he's deep into it when he's doing it. Well, and like one of the things that like recently, I, I think I talked about this on, I don't know if it was a Patreon episode, but it was like a podcast that we did in the last like five months. I think I told you, I picked up that, um, Lingua Ignata, that, uh, Cal- I haven't listened to that Caligula yet. record, which is, and I told you it was like painful. Like it was like cathartic and like, it was like an art piece, you know? Yeah. Like, it's either like you get it or you don't. And like, you know, Decibel was like their number two record of the year. And it's not something I pull out a lot because it like, it takes a lot out of you when you listen to it. And it's not even like an enjoyable listen, yeah. but it's like interesting, you know, the whole time. It's like the first time you like try and process like Velvet Underground or, you know, like you're yeah. just like, something's going on here that's bigger than me. I, I got to figure it out. But um, that's why I feel like Mayhem, some of their approaches, they're not like there to make like people happy. Yeah. They're just like there to like, confront you with some kind of interesting ideas and some of them like you grab onto right away some it like you gotta have to like digest it and really process what you think of it or if you like it or don't like it or it's it's interesting to see like where they started with death crush mm-hmm. where they kind of like epitomized the genre with d mysterious and then the way they've like weaved through the their career sense and a and it makes you think, way. like, as, as important as Euronymous was, like, you know, there were other people in that band that had, like, ideas, too, which is, like, yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. You know, like, because he gets so much of the spotlight, you know. But, like, I guess I appreciate Necro Butcher, like, more now than I did, like, say, you know, 10 years ago. I thought he was a like dummy. That. Yeah. Well, He's he not. comes off bad in Headbanger's Journey, obviously. Well, that and just uh, confrontational in a lot of ways. And, yeah. But I think he's... Uh, He's a way more interesting guy than I ever led on to believe. Sure. And, yeah. Um, I haven't really made it through much of that book yet. I decided to just like flip yeah, it through. Yeah, I've, I've kind of read little pieces of I gotta, stuff like that. I got to finish books and then put them aside. If I, I start know. another one, it's it's. A I'm bad, like trying to read that Peter Steele book, and then that Paradise Lost book came out, and I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> you know, so I'm like in a a bad place. Oh, so with you that. got a? Did you get a copy of that? That Peter Steele? Yeah. Nice. Yep. So, um, because. We've definitely had requests and um, had some interest in doing some typo shows. And I think Wagner, um, I'm going to talk to him and see for you patrons, Inside Scoop. Uh, he and I have talked for years about trying to do a typo Peter Steele type show. Well, that was, yeah, I, I'm not even thinking of it. I, I got that, uh, fuck, I don't remember the label that put it out, but the vinyl box set of the most, yeah. everything except for that last record. Um, and I was just like, God, I forgot how good all this stuff is. Mm-hmm. I had to just like let go of some of my associations with the uh, like fans of the music that kind of like pulled it in a weird direction. But it's like this stuff was so good; they were as big as 
like Paradise Lost in Europe was as big as Typo were worldwide at the same time too, yeah. which is an interesting kind of thing. And they both, if you listen to uh, Medusa, there's the a lot of new Paradise stuff. Lost. The yeah. whole like production is like if Josh Silver fucking produced the record yeah. or something. That's just feels like a, like in a dungeon or something like that. Yeah, that guitar that's... weird guitar tone and shit that they mm-hmm. use on it and stuff, just like that drenched in effects and stuff too. But I always pull Typo typo out around like halloween and then i like remember how important that band was to me as a kid you know and i never listened to um dead again or -hmm. is that what it's called yeah the one with uh, rasputin on the cover no i don't have that one that's the only one i don't have uh world coming down world coming down and the uh life is killing killing me me. are both great yeah (laughs) life is killing me i don't know that well but world coming down i had when it came out so and that was like the last typo I bought at the time, like like when it came out kind of thing. Like I followed them up through World Coming Down. Yeah, I don't think so. I just for some reason I didn't keep following the stuff, but I was like, this is it was weird. Great. They were like a band, like there was like bands that like I got into before I like met you and Mark or you and Chris, and then I like went forward with some of those bands, and then sometimes I just punted on them. You know, at a certain point. Yeah. Like, some I made it to, like, the end. Like, I remember being in college and, like, being in the Swedish death metal and all this shit that, like, you guys had kind of got me into. And, like, the new Rage, the last Rage Against the Machine record came out. And, like, I grabbed it. But, like, some bands, like Deftones, their second record came out. And I'd been in their debut. But I was like, nah. And I passed it over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it was so, like, the, the, choices the are change so was so dramatic yeah. for, like, when I got so deep into, like, the extreme metal scene that, like, I just cut a lot of things out. And, like, Typo was, like, one of those bands that, like, by the time World Coming Down came out, like, I liked it and listened to it some. But, like, I just, maybe, like, there was this perception that because it was part of that old scene that I used to, like, kind of be into, like, I don't need to really spend time with this as much. You feel like you, you kind of figured them out. Yeah. And they're like, oh, there's all this other interesting shit. And they're just still going. But yep. that's, that's, and I regret that now. But like, but now you get it's to, it's kind of fun to go back. Yeah. You get to like re- reintroduce yourself to stuff and rediscover shit in a, with a more mature mind. Sure. So I think I'm a, like, I love that aspect of whatever we call this music. Uh, enjoy, what, what do we call? The whole thing of just listening to music. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, cultivation of music. Just like the the fanatic approach cur- to this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, because we curing. don't just passively listen. We do yeah. have fucking shows. We've got huge libraries of books. Yeah, and we're looking at freaking library <laughs> documentaries. And uh, yeah. speaking of that, do you watch that Crosby one yet? No, that's great. Is I would good? definitely check that out. Okay, yeah, I've I always just, been a Birds fan. So if, yeah, I uh, I just worked. His through. first solo record's great. Yeah, I've got that. Yeah, uh, if you could remember. Yeah, I think. yeah, that's fantastic. So, yeah, Crosby, he's such a <laughs> fascinating character. So, but uh, yeah, no, I, um, I, I think that's that's important for us to to continue to like challenge some of that stuff, and it's it's good because I've I've forced myself to like you know, I I think I try to be as open as possible. Um, I, I'm less pessimistic about music maybe than, than you and Chris are sometimes, but that's like why we work so well together. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I have to be, and I've talked about it before because I'm constantly hanging out with like 16 year olds. So I'm like trying to like give the benefit of the doubt and like, Oh yeah. At least like yeah. figure out what they're, where they're coming from a little. And most of the time I don't care, but on occasion, like they surprise me with stuff and I'm like, eh, it's not, yeah. not as bad as I thought, you know, or whatever. Yeah. But, mostly art, the, the introduction of, New contemporary music for me is if me and my wife watch Saturday Night Live is like, oh, yeah. who the fuck is Princess Girlfriend or whatever the uh, King Girlfriend? Have you heard of this mm-hmm. band? Before? No, <laughs> no, 
No. That and the chain smokers. Yeah. No. Don't know. That, it's I don't just like, like I don't like any of this. Yeah. That sounds sounds like eighties shit. Yeah. Uh like I liked um uh, something my kids kind of got into simultaneously, like Billy Eilish. And there was like all that headlines about Billie Eilish not knowing who Van Halen was. I don't know if you saw that below. No, on I social just media. Yeah, I I know her a little bit. Not um, really her music, but her uh hot ones. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. right. She's on. I was that first too. introduced yeah. to her, and she seems like a cool kid. Yeah, you know, they so. uh, they use her song as like a theme song for NXT uh, wrestling pay per view, which is like NXT is like my favorite thing in wrestling right now. And uh, they use the ghost song one time, and you know, like they're, they're someone someone working that company is like like pays yeah. attention to shit a little, you yeah. know. But anyways, uh, yeah. So like that's something like I can play in my classroom, and kids are like, "Oh, you like Billy Eilish?" Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, some of the stuff's good. You know, so. Yeah. But speaking of females and female vocalists, we're going to end things, uh, our patron show, with um, a band called Quaid LaHue. <laughs> and we keep laughing. I, I, I looked it up. Uh, I, can't, I could I not find, find no. a translation of what the fuck this was. Um, I jokingly told Mark, it sounds like a shitty character from True Blood or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Mr. Quaid LaHue was here. La for you. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny. We just watched uh, Knives Out last night. I have a couple of my friends went and saw it. And uh, Daniel Craig's character is this like Southern uh, like detective. And uh, they yeah, call I saw him, like, trailer Detective of KFC. Like Chris yeah. Evans' character like jokes at him and shit. Like, yeah. you know, and he has that. CSI KFC thing. Yeah, CSI KFC and shit. But um, it's Love Out of Darkness. And this is actually new. But this is probably something I wouldn't put on like my best of list. But it's just something like. I enjoy kind of listening to, and um, there were some like articles that I kind of saw. Uh, I think Decibel wrote something about them, and then I saw another article from. Maybe that's like, where I saw that cover. Revolver, from. yeah, maybe okay. it was on Decibel. Um, but they're from. Um, they're Olympia, from Washington, Washington, yeah. Which Washington also has Idle Hands is from. Yeah. There's like a really good like young scene of interesting. Well, there was a really important. They're um, mixing genre. There was a really important. Way indie record label that came out of that part of washington i think it was the um oh, fuck the band was like the beat happenings were on there uh the i think the raincoats and now i gotta look this up was but it like indie rock stuff or? it was yeah it was mostly indie rock but like um uh olympia washington let's see record labels but um it's kind of cool because it was like um it's kind of like a feminist, like Runaways meets like um, Thin Lizzy and like Diamond Head or something like that. Like there's just like yeah. all these like different like Nawabum kind of things happening. On when you it said stuff half like the bands from Christian Mistress too, right? Yeah, Christian Mistress. They're kind of doing a similar then, um, sounding thing. But... Yeah, and then another band called Mortiferium, the guitar player. Yeah, I've never heard of them. Before. Yeah, they're on like uh, Profound Lore. So like, okay. you know. Just like a weird. Who knows what that sounds like? <laughs> exactly. Uh, K Records. K Records. K A Y. No, just K. Okay. It was an independent record label founded in Olympia in '82. Um, I'm trying to think who came out of it. Let's see. I'll, I'll let you know who was on the roster. Uh, the Beat Happening, Bikini Kill, okay. Built to Spill, um, The Crab. Like, was it like Riot Girl stuff or? S- yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Um, Let's see who else was on there. At least Bikini Kill was, but Modest Mouse started on there. Pansy Division, okay. um, Shonen Knife um, at one point. The Headcoats, um, yeah. So it was whenever I read about like indie rock, they always talk about K Records, like almost paving the way for like Sub Pop and for Matador and mm-hmm. some of these other like kind of big indie labels that were about to like emerge in America. They were Which, like the, they were like was the Matador out of Seattle. 
they were West Coast somewhere. I don't know. They might have been like Portland or something like that. I okay. can't remember. Or it's California. an interesting little so. microcosm up there. Sure. I mean, you you have like you know the grunge shit that sort of happened out of that. You know, yeah. out of sub pop and and things. You know, I mean, so there was like its own weird scene and like um, I'm a huge Sleater Kinney fan, and so like they come out of that area as well, and um. I don't know. So maybe that's why I'm sort of drawn to this is like if Sleater Kinney was like a metal band, like this was the vibe I kind of get off of it. But um, it's kind of got this like biker rock kind of thing going on for it as well. And I wanted to read a, a cool quote about the song that we're going to kind of end with here. And um, I think it's from an interview with Revolver. And it's the the release of this um, the single that we're going to play, Widowmaker. I was going to play Warrior, which is like a more kind of like metal kind of song. But I found this cool quote where they were talking about like what Widowmaker was kind of all about. And the vocalist, Jenna Fitton, said, Envision a cloaked figure rising up and riding out on the road to exact vengeance upon those who live with no consequence. Um, the Widowmaker devotes her life to avenging her own heart with no mercy for those who have selfishly cut her and others down. Bear witness to feminine rage personified and give her the fellowship she is due. So it's kind of like... That's not like a perspective that's represented very often in metal. And so I thought yeah. it was like, it was very evocative to me. And I'm always trying to kind of like, you know, I'm always really conscious. It's, it seems weird. But when I'm like teaching rock and roll history, I'm like very conscious about like, am I only talking about like the contributions that males have made? Like, it's like in the back of my head sometimes, like I look at my audience and I'm like, half of these people are like girls. And like, I need yeah. to like recognize like, you know, like Aretha Franklin and like the Ronettes and like these, these, it was happening. They might even be behind the scenes, like, you know, being either playing the instruments or writing the songs like Carol King, you know, yeah. like writing a lot, but it's like, I'm trying to like, I, I want everybody to be excited. I don't want it to be just like a macho kind of like rock and roll, you know, Which for thing. rock and roll, unfortunately is kind it, of, it, it, yeah, I was to say it's, it's pretty male. I know. I know. So, you know, I, so I try and like, if I can like look for kind of some of those avenues to like, yeah, maybe open up a doorway for like a girl to feel like she has access to this and that it's not just like a male dominated, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. I, I, I mean, definitely demographics that shows have changed since when I first started going to shows in the early nineties. So yeah. Yeah. Like at least that part of it's, there's been some kind of breakdown as far as one well, punk and alternative and... in India has always had like a avenue for females a little bit more, you know. Yeah, it's been definitely more. I mean, me- metal and hip hop, I feel like, have always kind of been a little tricky, and and hip hop has some avenues Hip-hop's now. Got quite you know. a bit, of, especially like R and B for sure has always had. But like even like the fun. the whole like alternative hip hop thing, that's oh, yeah. the stuff my wife's mostly into at this point. Um, or at this this time, she's the most excited by that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like weird. Like she'll play me stuff. I was like, "That's yeah." Why don't I hear that on the radio? Like that's way more interesting than half the crap that for sure normally we hear. So yeah. well, that's welcome to modern hip hop, where like yeah. there's a lot of really good shit that's just not on the radio. Yeah, it's yeah. like rock. I mean, it's like everything we listen to, right? Yeah. Like yeah. there's people that think metal is like five hundred finger death punch and Avenge Sevenfold <sighs> and, and stuff, which is yeah. whatever. But like, it's not. You know what I mean? Like that's that's tough. like a representation yeah. that's like a false misnomer, and so I think hip hop. I think any genre is getting that. Like yeah, you know, like there's interesting rock bands still, but they're just not on the radio. You know, like yeah. it's just you got to look look for them a little bit. So, but yeah, so we're gonna kind of close out things with this. It's kind of fun. Uh, it's a great record. You know, uh, it's on Adult Fantasy Records out of Olympia. Um, I you know can't say enough good things. It's just that's like a the good only listen. album they have. 
Yeah, I think they had like some singles or something that they put out like prior to it. Oh, they have Moldy Castle. Oh, okay. And Sea Average. Got it. Those are the only... I don't know those. I don't either. Yeah, but I kind of recently discovered them and kind of dig it. So, But yeah, it's Widowmaker from Love Out of Darkness. So, But Mark, it's been fun to catch up again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, hopefully Patreon fans, we've uh, given you some ammo. Hopefully some of the stuff you hadn't heard of before and it's like worth checking out and... Yeah, just listen to this in chunks. If uh, it's a it's a nice beefy one, so it's yeah. definitely a hey, fat two months. We're worth. all about we're all about beef here. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah. So for patron uh, December, I think episode. This is when this will air. Um, I am Jason, and I am Mark.